1: Welcome to
0: Off the Shelf with Roger Waldron of the Coalition for Government Procurement on Federal News Network. Off the Shelf gives a voice to commercial service and product companies selling in the federal market. Roger speaks to members and government officials about procurement policy, trends,
1: innovations, and debates. Now your host, Roger Waldron. Today my guest on Off the Shelf is Deborah Haywood. She is Vice President, Government Solutions at McKesson Medical Surgical, um, and today we're going to be focusing a lot of our conversation on the strategic national stockpile, um, its critical role in responding to the pandemic and, you know, the, the future of it, and welcome to the show.
0: Roger, thanks so much for having me today. I look forward to spending this next hour with you and look forward to having a great conversation.
1: Uh, well, let's get right into it, and first that, um. Can you talk a little bit about um to get us started your role at McKesson yeah. and sort of how you got there um it's It's always kind of interesting to hear a little a little bit of people's career paths and how how you ended it in your current role
0: Sure, certainly. I am actually a clinician by trade um and started uh, my career very early on um as a clinician different delivering health care and progressed uh, through the years into distribution um, and came on the other side of that care delivery system. So um, I've been with McKesson for the last 15 years. Um, I have enjoyed uh, several different roles here. But most recently, the last three years, I'm managing a new business that we stood up called McKesson Medical Surgical Government Solutions.
1: And um, can you talk a little bit about what McKesson Medical Surgical Government solutions, what, what it does, or what what your yeah. your business is.
0: Sure, I'll be glad to. So, essentially, that business is made up of um, an arm that supports our local, state, and federal government agencies. Government procurement is particularly detailed and can be different than commercial contracting. And this business is made up of experts that deal with government contracting all the way from the smallest government entity to the largest um, within the United States.
1: So. Um, and that's a big role. I mean, I know, you know, peop- people like I just remember when I, I and I never r- recognized it until I started noticing when I'd go to the doctor and there'd be stuff with the McKesson, you know, yeah. label on it, whatnot. And that got to me thinking about just how much the logistics and, and what you do touch people throughout, you know, the country and in terms of healthcare. care um, and critical to that is, you know the National Stockpile. And (laughs) I know McKesson's been a partner of the federal government in that regard. Um, So first of all, can you, let's just define what that is. Um, So what is the National Stockpile?
0: Yeah. So, uh, Roger, I'll just kind of start with McKesson overall is a leading national distributor of both pharmaceutical and medical supplies um, to to not only government agencies, but commercial agencies too. And our network spans about 34 distribution centers about 5,500 manufacturers and about 900 delivery, delivery professionals um, at, to be able to move product from this, the distribution point to the point of care where it's needed the most. Our role really has always been working with our local state and federal agencies um, just on normal procurement of product, but also right. working at the time of need, meaning a disaster, meaning an act of nature, act of God that would happen, um, you know, we've, we've seen in our country everything from wildfires, floods, hurricanes that have come in. Um, but our work with a strategic national stockpile was really based on working to deliver um, over the last two, two and a half years now, believe it or not, um, at the beginning of COVID. Um, and we started that work with getting um, our citizens of the United States off cruise ships um, as COVID reared its ugly head in January of 2020. Uh, we had citizens, American citizens that were stuck on cruise ships that we had to help and support and get off. And so uh, we have always worked with our federal partners um, to a degree, but certainly COVID-19 and the the start of that um, began a new, new, more difficult span than anything we had experienced in the United States.
1: So, so, so you guys help like you know, I can remember at the beginning of the pandemic and they, you know, those cruise ships, I think one was in Japan or some, I mean, yeah. and those folks got stuck. I mean, so, so you, so you were called in to help sort of in that, in that regard and responding to that situation.
0: We did. So our federal state agencies, they all had civilian you know, citizens that needed to get off cruise ships. They needed to get back on American soil, but at the same time, they had to have Things that you would consider, you know, not so hard to get, but were at the time very difficult to get from, you know, masks, face shields, um, temperature probes, temperature monitors um, were all in high demand, starting to be in high demand and getting them on a cruise ship. It's not necessarily something you you had a plan for. So that became critical. Um, and then that just started the underlayment of what needed to take place moving forward.
1: So, um you know, can you just from a, from a sort of from a perspective, why it's so important, um, why creating and managing a stockpile is so important in the context of the strategic national stockpile? Can you talk a little bit about that?
0: Sure, absolutely. So, um, you know, the strategic national stockpile um, has been supported by our federal government for a very long period of time. And they um, have an incredible process that they put into place. To be able to monitor the items that are um, most needed um, within the United States during an emergency situation. What's critical in that, uh, you know, we've had some lessons learned coming out of those too, Roger. Right. Uh, but what's critical in that is understanding what product is in stock, how that product can be rotated to make to make sure that we have a uh, product is not expired and that it's in the ready-to-use format, and working with um, our leaders in the Strategic National Stockpile all the way through our state leaders. Um, for procurement as well. So it is a blended effort uh to ensure that product is at the point of care where it's needed.
1: Um in in that regard you you mentioned lessons learned. Can you talk just what you've seen some of the changes um with you know the strategic national stockpiles being accessed um and with the move from, first of all the move from HHS to in 2018 Um, what changed there, and then we can talk about how it evolved during the the pandemic as well.
0: Yeah, Roger, I think what we learned um, was a lot of key takeaways about how important it was to collaborate. You know, early on with whenever uh, COVID really started, um, we had great conversations with our federal and state partners, but what we did not have was the collaboration at the level that COVID required it. Um, what we learned and the key takeaways is that private public partnerships are fundamental um, to the industry. They're fundamental to the success um, of federal uh, as, as well as state partnerships moving forward. You know, we learned that you can't always be prepared, um, but what you can be prepared with is making sure that you have resources, technology, um, and processes to bring the, the organizations together with private industry. Um, to ensure that we have public success for our population um, and the geographies that we serve. We also learned that the distribution um, that commercial partnership brings in the private industry is really key of getting the product to the point of care that it's needed most. Yes, you can ship in a lot of product into one area, but getting it to the provider so that can actually ha- the provider can have, the tools and supplies that they need to provide that care whether it's in an acute care facility or whether it is um at at the level um, that is smaller that in our rural com- communities whether it's the pharmacy um our department of health that is what is critical is making sure you're meeting the the demand of where the supply is needed the most so i would say the key takeaways is just that collaboration is priority number one having people resources that are known to each other between that private-public partnership um, that have, you know, understand what processes need to be to be able to communicate together. That was learned during COVID. And I, I do believe that it will continue and we'll continue to learn together.
1: Yeah, I, I um, when I think of Macasson, I think of, and I'm going to use some health care or just uh, <laughs> uh, jargon, sort of like you're like the nervous system. Of, of the medical supply chain logistics um, or, you know, the arteries and the veins, right? So, you know, you connect with everybody, whether it's manufacturers, other distributors, uh, the caregivers, hospitals, you know, and the government um, across the board. You touch all of those. Can you talk, I mean, from that perspective, it, I understand communication is critically important, but, you know, it's, it has to be effective communication in terms of like the data that's shared mm-hmm. Did, were there lessons learned or things that you, you, that you saw coming out of covid with regard to the data management that um you know made a difference or things that we know now that we do make a difference
0: absolutely i would start with the supply control tower that was an investment that our federal government made um almost at the beginning of COVID. It was a couple of months, not shortly after COVID really started, but we had to have a way to send in data. And that commitment was made by the supply control tower housed there um, within the federal system. And distributors as well as manufacturers are reporting that data into uh, that system today. Those feeds are daily or weekly, or however they're situated within the manufacturer distributor to be able to process that information. But that commitment that now the federal government can have to understand what product is actually in short, uh, what product maybe is there enough of. Also doing some forecasting to understand what is on the horizon and not just forecasting, but a specific product, but also commodities that are involved in making those products Um, and as well as transportation, what is happening at the ports. Um, as product is being receiving in, coming in through transportation, whether that transportation is truck or rail. Um, So that information is now feeding into the supply control tower. We did not have that. That um, triangle of success of IT information into supply control tower of true data um, from the manufacturer and the distributor will be critical ongoing, and it will allow us to make better decisions together on where the product is needed. So it was a lesson learned in the beginning, it was hard work in the beginning, quite frankly, to bring all of that together. Uh, but now I, I do believe we're all better for it, so good decisions can be made.
1: Yeah, I have one follow up question, and then we'll have to take the break for for the last segment. Um, so, in that context, like change management, it seems to me you're talking about you know to you know the private sector and government and trying to work and understand the you know the urgency of you know improving communication and collaboration. Were there a specific change management challenges that that you experienced?
0: I think what we experienced early on is everybody had a common mission. Um, whether you were a distributor or a manufacturer or the federal government or even the states, everybody wanted to provide care um, and get the products that were needed to, to the point of care where it was needed most. That immediately united everybody together, Roger. Everybody came in. Um, to do a common goal and do it the best possible way and to do it as urgently as they could. Um, What we met was an unprecedented time of being able to collaborate at that level. Um, We had to ensure that we could do it appropriately and safely within the guardrails of of business. Um, And we did that. Uh, There was a lot of collaboration there to bring the agencies together along with the private industry. What we saw out of that it was really tools and practices that were met early on uh, with daily huddles, almost, I would say, daily calls that happened every morning um, in an urgent way that brought all the distributors, all manufacturers together, and that enabled us to be able to understand how could we report, how could we work together, um, and that has continued. Task force committees have been, have taken place since then. They've specialized in certain areas. Um, where we can ensure that we have best practices in place. Of course, that takes time. It doesn't happen as quick as anybody wants it to. But what we have learned is how to communicate better together. And from that, the good work has taken place with task force that are dedicated to ensuring that regulations are in place or processes are updated or simple just communication all in one portal system in one way that can be accessed quickly.
1: Yeah, and that's – that's a lot. Uh, and, 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 the, and we're up on the break. So when I come back, I just want to continue this conversation just about some of the best practices and where, you know, the and supply chain resiliency and where things are headed. My guest today is Deborah Haywood. She is Vice President, Government Solutions, McKesson Medical Surgical. I'm Roger Waldron, and you're listening to Off the Shelf on Federal News Network. Welcome back to Off the Shelf on Federal News Network. I'm Roger Walden. My guest today is Deborah Haywood. She is Vice President of Government Solutions at McKesson Medical Surgical, and we've been talking about logistics, uh, pandemic response, the strategic national stockpile, all kinds of very interesting things. And uh, Deborah, when we took the break, you're talking a lot about just the 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 positive collaboration between government and industry in response to the pandemic and, and talked about task committees, task force committees and things that were set up and the, you know, regular meetings that were going on. I, you know, some of that is based on the urgency, but what kind of, what, do you see this as the wave of the future in terms of government, whether it's a pandemic response or just, you know, normal, you know, whatever is normal, North normal healthcare operations. Do you see this increased communication as the way of the future?
0: Well, I can say this. It has definitely continued since the pandemic started. And we've seen a real effort um, by by all federal agencies um, to reach out to private industry to collaborate together. We continue to see those task force, those committees, those meetings, both virtual and in-person, be prioritized. And I think it has to be a commitment that is made back by the private industry. How are we going to ensure that there's success? So, you know, I, I would... Love to tell you that we have all the mission accomplished, that we've been able to understand exactly what the process is going to be. I would say it's in the making. And I would say those recurring meetings, the recurring collaboration, understanding what those task force and attributes can be um, by all the manufacturers, by all the distributors coming together and uniting together. It's going to continue to play out to make us better. I think what we learned is we cannot do it alone. We have to do it together. Um, That is a commitment both back, um, not just from private industry, but also um, from our public, federal, and state partners.
1: Yeah. And, And to me, the goal here at the end of the day, right, is a resilient supply chain, whether that's, you know, a national stockpile that's, you know, ready and raring to go or just the ability to get stuff. Can you talk a bit about, you know, some of the, what you view as the key sort of features or characteristics of a resilient supply chain?
0: You know, I can answer from a resiliency standpoint for sure. I think resiliency is ensuring that we understand what our providers need, um, understanding what products are available both domestically and internationally, and service um, service those products well. We also make sure, need to make sure we have the lead times in place for transportation. Um, the transportation, um, whether it's been by um, by ports, you know, from from containers being moved on the water to transportation coming into the port and being able to offload those containers and move it by truck and rail, those are all key key faucets that we have to deal with every single day. And understanding what that's going to be for our future really builds that resiliency. <clears throat> our resiliency also comes in in making sure that the products that are coming into the United States are qualified products. Uh, We want to make sure that they are supported by our federal partners, whether it's the FDA or those that are um, overseeing the care of patients. And we want to make sure that those um, that it's not misleading to providers. They know exactly what kind of uh, medical supply can be used in acute care setting versus a non-acute care setting and that it services all settings, including our long term care and our first responders. And I think that is what the key to resiliency is, is not just focusing on one type of provider, but all providers that are in the care continuum in the United States. Now, we've got a very complex healthcare care system um, and making sure that we meet the patient where that patient is being served, whether it's in the rural community or whether it's in the largest city, is critical to our success moving forward.
1: Yeah, And and one thing I did want to ask you about, too, I think we may have talked about it during one of the breaks or something. It's just, you know, part of that, you making sure stuff is, is available is the rotating it out of stockpiles. Can you talk a little bit about that?
0: We definitely want to make sure that the product that is um, in the United States is rotated. Um, and rotated means that we have a very good understanding of what the expiration date is. That expiration date varies. It depends on the product that is kept for the resiliency program whether it's federal or state markets, or even our our hospital systems or long-term care facilities, um, understanding what the expiration date is on that product and how it can be either fit tested or how it can be used um, is critically important. So making sure that product is readily accessible, but not just accessible, but not expired um, is critical so that we can follow the manufacturer guidelines so the product can be used to the best of its quality.
1: So on the supply side, understanding all those things is critical. I'm um, Just curious, your thoughts on the demand side? How the government or coordinates and buys, I think, is critically important too. To to being able to, you know, that partnership with government and industry. Right, it's got to be make sense how the government is demanding the product or buying the product. Um, and is that an area where you've seen some evolution over the last couple of years? Because you know, I think at the beginning of it, it was kind of a free for all. At least, you know, what I was told by 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 folks out there in the market, you know, just everybody trying to get stuff because everybody needed stuff, right? Um, is you know, it seems to me there's got to be the coordination is on both sides. Does that make sense?
0: It does. And while COVID produced its challenges, it also produced a ton of benefits for technology development, and we've seen that the supply control tower is now part. Um, of our federal Mm -hmm. partners. Um, We have reporting that is going into that. Many of your manufacturers and distributors in the United States are reporting feeds in that daily. Uh, That daily feed goes in and tells you exactly what is on hand with a specific group of items that are considered to be critical items um, such as PPE. So that advancement um, and that ability for it to have a centralized repository is critical to our success. The federal government will continue to learn and share how that will work together with uh, distributors such as McKesson, and we're certainly eager to participate in any of those learnings. The transparency and being able to have that data and that collaborative relationship is is much improved, a far advancement than where we were two and a half years ago.
1: And that has ripple effects throughout healthcare. Correct? Is that my correct to that? Agreed. Agreed. Yeah, because it yeah.
0: it starts with the manufacturer having the product and the distributor being able to provide it and get it to that point of care. So. Just having the foundation and understanding of what product is available in the United States. It also helps you whenever you get in a time of crisis um, of knowing exactly where and pinpointing to the zip code level of where the product is needed most. That helps prevent some hoarding that'll take place as folks try to retain that and hold that in a specific location. And it puts the product in the location that it's most needed.
1: Yeah. and. Um Deborah we're up on the break already, so when we come back uh, <laughs> uh we'll continue and finish this conversation on resilience and then talk a little bit about some of the uh best practices related to uh to stockpiling or you know the strategy around a strategic national stockpile uh but I wanted to ask you when we come back just about health equity and the role um that supply chain resiliency you know, can play in that as well. So my guest today is Deborah Haywood. She is Vice President, Government Solutions, McKesson Medical Surgical. I'm Roger Waldron, and you're listening to Off the Shelf on Federal News Network. Welcome back to Off the Shelf on Federal News Network. I'm Roger Waldron. My guest today is Deborah Haywood. She is Vice President at Government Solutions, McKesson Medical Surgical. We're talking about... Uh, generally about logistics and resiliency, strategic national stockpile. And that the last segment, towards the end, we are focusing a lot on resiliency in the supply chain. And um, I wanted to circle back with the, the question I, 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 you know, I teased for this segment to start it. It was, It's about uh, health equity and the role that uh, supply chain resilience, how it impacts uh, health equity.
0: Yep. Yeah, so the role with um, supply chain excellence really provides uh, the product to the point of care that it's needed. You know, when you think about um, the visibility and control that takes place uh, to get the product to where it is needed most. When you think about the communications and rapid response planning that takes place, um, that is all critical um, for for health care to be delivered and health access, um, which is critical to the continuum of, of care in the United States or any other country. Um, you know, when I think about when you, you really have uh, the coordinated effort between the federal and the state uh, working together is making sure that that effort is seamless and making sure that they the product can be um, moved from one destination to the other pretty quickly uh, because time is really the, you know, time is so critical for the efficiency to either stop something like the virus of COVID from from expanding within a local area um, into more of a a to more geographic area within the United States. Uh, But also the thing that is just critical is making sure that provider is protected. Um, We have to focus on making sure that our providers in the United States are protected when delivering that care. Um, They cannot uh, contract whatever, you know, if it's COVID virus or whatever the next um, situation is, they have to be protected for the responsibility of health care that they're providing so that health equity and ensuring that every facet within the industry from the point of care we um, you think of a, a patient in their home or a citizen in their home receiving ems treatment all the way through um, the long-term care facility home health agency um, into the physician's office and into into the hospital is critical to know where the product's at and that it can be used
1: yeah, I mean, that's a great point. I mean, yeah, yeah, you, you, you have to take care of the health care provider um, sure. in order to be able to take care of the people at the that's end right. of the day, right? Um, and right. it goes to that. And it seems to me, and you used the word because I was thinking of it, and that was efficiency. Yeah. And I think the more efficient this system is or that you have a resilient system that is, that's efficient and flexible, the, it's you, you're able to respond more quickly you know, in a timely manner, like in real time and the point and the, a point of need for for folks throughout, you know, society for for the care that they need. It's and again, I think that goes to a lot to that to your point you, that you've been the private, uh, uh, the public private partnership and transparency around the information where everything is to be able to make good decisions on how to distribute it at the end of the day. Um, which sort of leads me to my um, next question and, in, in you know, stockpiling. I use that in quotes and we're just talking mm-hmm. about the strategic national stockpile. And I, I wanted to get some of your um, thoughts on the best practices, uh, you know, for stockpiling um, from a, both McKesson's perspective, but also just generally and, and from the government's perspective as well.
0: Yeah, Um, you know, from our federal and state partners, they really want to make sure that they've got the product um, on site that can be delivered with a pretty quick turnaround, Uh, again, talking about time and speed, but just having a logistics arm to be able to have that operational excellence to deliver it with the mode of transportation that it needs it most. Um, You know, you've got to be able to deliver that product quickly. I think the necessary parts of a stockpile is just making sure that you have an agreed upon um, amount of product and what kind of product needs to be withheld and that type of product is really the responsibility of that private public partnership you want to be able to have a product that can be rotated so that it can be used Um, you want to eliminate waste Uh, you don't want to have product just sitting there um, that ends up having to be disposed of over a period of time so when you're thinking about what you're gonna have in the stockpile, whether it's a federal or state, or even at a specific hospital customer level, they wanna be able to make sure that they can rotate that product in a timely manner. I think the other the other key to success with stockpiling um, is just transparency and technology to be able to have systems in place to know what products do you have on hand, um, what products um, may be, um, you know, If you're thinking about replacing them, what products may be limited, having a good balance um, between, you know, the manufacturers that you're buying from, whether they're domestic or or nearshore manufacturers and being able to have an emergency plan of what will happen if that um, surge and capacity needs to ramp up, whether it's from the manufacturer ramp um, up of the product to actually be um, made or if it's from a distributor perspective, to be able to ramp up that product um, all the way to your last mile um, distribution points that involves UPS and FedEx um, at times and other local carriers, uh, because you've got to be able to facilitate that product to the point of care that it's needed most.
1: Right. So would it be fair to say that the system visibility is the key to Controlling the distribution, right? Understanding where things are needed or not needed, or even if you're a government entity, knowing what you have already That's right. and, and when it needs to be distributed. Um, you know, how, how in the in the system, how does that how does that data shared these days? What 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 have we learned from the last two or three years?
0: I think what we learn most of all, Roger, is that we don't have it figured out yet. But private and public industry has come together with our federal and state teams to know how we can share um, data moving forward. And I think that's most critical. Um, Those conversations have been most helpful at being able to understand what is our resiliency program going to be for the future. Prior to COVID, those conversations really did not happen because um, technology systems were not shared. Quite frankly, you know, when you get folks all in a room um, and you talk about sharing data, uh, that's kind of a tricky conversation, um, yes. but we, we've crossed that barrier. Uh, we've understood how we can do it. Uh, there are certain limitations and things we have to have in place um, to support um, different, you know, legal perspectives, sure. coordinated yeah. effort. But I think what we've learned is that we can do, we can do it when we all come together.
1: Yeah. It's so, I mean, it, 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 it seems to me, this has to be a, you know, a lasting fundamental sort of change in, you know, in the operational culture, the operational dynamic to, to be effective for future responses. And I think ultimately to help the whole healthcare system, it seems to me, does that, I mean, is that, is that the way all the stakeholders view it as well?
0: It is exactly how stakeholders view it. I think, um, you know, we don't have the final answer yet. We don't know what that is, but we continue to be work collectively on different task force, on different committees, um, to understand what does that look like all the way through the contingency planning. Um, you know, our SNS colleagues um, worked strategically with us, um, with with all um, of the uh, distributors and trying to get product into the United States and how we got it from, you know, an overseas country into the U.S., working through different embassies and and, and those best practices um will be continued and remembered and that is what is critical is to make sure that we have a process moving forward of the technology um, and working with each other but also what is the process of logistics to ensure that we can meet the standards to get product into the U.S. Um, and even if it's made domestically you still have to have a process oh. to be able to get it from one point to the other um, and how does that involve either trucks or rail um, to ensure that the product can get to the point of care that it's needed most
1: Right. It seems to me, you know, there's always the focus or you, know, you hear the talk about like, you know, just this one piece of resiliency, which is, oh, where is this stuff being made? And do we have multiple sources? And is it in friendly places and that sort of thing? And that sort of leaves out the you know, what you've described this, you know, the logistics piece of it is just as important, right? Because you can make this stuff, but if you can't get it to anybody, <laughs> well, it doesn't do any good, does it? Um so and something you touched on early in the show is just like you know staying with it you know from a government perspective right making the long term investments in these things whether it's um you know the manufacturing capability but also what i'm learning today is just the you know from a logistics perspective and that partnership the communication the transparency it has to be a consistent commitment over time to make sure we're in a good position when we do have a future event. Is that is that a fair way to sum it up?
0: Totally agree, um, Roger, with everything that you said. And and um, I think you know when you you ask about lessons learned, the biggest lesson is that we didn't have that collaboration between yeah. private industry and and public industry. So um, I would say that that was a huge advance advancement for us. And with that, good things will come. The more that people collaborate and work together. Um, that will actually bring better better processes for the resiliency.
1: Great, and well, we're Deborah. We're already up on the break. Wow, we only got one more segment. Um, oh no, no, no. Well, that's okay. Uh, when we come back, um, I'd like to talk to you about um, uh, you know some uh, you know some of your experiences and lessons learned and um, in working with uh, Operation Warp Speed and distribution of the COVID vaccine. Um, and you know, some really interesting stuff. My guest today is Deborah Haywood. She is the Vice President for mm-hmm. Government Solutions, McKesson Medical Surgical. I'm Roger You're listening to Off the Shelf on Federal News Network. Welcome back to Off the Shelf on Federal News Network. I'm Roger Waldron. my guest today is Deborah Haywood. She is the Vice President of Government Solutions, McKesson Medical Surgical. And we've been talking about the national, uh, the strategic national stockpile. I get it right in a second there, and uh, logistics in general, and you know the keys to resiliency in the supply chain, and from a logistics perspective in particular. And uh, in this segment, I wanted to uh, talk to you, Deborah about um, you know the we've we've touched on it throughout the show, lessons learned from COVID, that sort of thing, but more focused. Um, with regard to like Operation Warp Speed, dis- distribution of the vaccine and, you know, ancillary kit distributions, you know, working with the federal government. Um, I note that um, you were re- you've received McKesson's President's Club Leadership Award for both 2021 and just now 2022 for your work in that regard. So first of all, congratulations and thank you for all your work you did um, with regard to helping with Operation Warp Speed and the distribution. Um, It was a national service, quite frankly, um, at the end of the day. So please do accept, you know, my appreciation and our listeners' appreciation. Um, But um, can you talk a little bit about that experience and, and, and what it was like and maybe some lessons learned or things from it that you you took away?
0: Sure, Roger, thank you so much uh, for the very kind words. And I would tell you, I was just fortunate enough to be one of the leaders. We had many incredible leaders um, that worked on this journey and we have incredible teammates um, that worked around the clock um, in distribution centers and customer service that were working while everybody was was at home. So um, while COVID was rampant, they were all working together. And uh, so the kudos actually goes to them for their hard work and dedication for sure um you know when i think about operation warp speed it started i touched on it a little bit it's it, it really started when we started to recognize COVID, the coronavirus was in the united states um it then quickly became what was the united states going to do and operation warp speed was developed it was under a lot of leadership at that time uh, for paul mango uh, his strategic leadership was employed um, General Gustav Pernal uh, was involved uh, with a lot of the work, and what we saw, um, even as Operation Warp Speed began, uh, we had to get product into the United States. Um, the Chinese New Year that had happened in January, and then Wuhan had shut down part of the production, it, just, it literally mitigated a lot of the PPE that was coming into the U.S., so there had to be a way to get PPE into the U.S. fast, and so that operation warp speed stood up um, and we started bringing uh, ppe in on planes which was very uncommon you would never do that Um, it was always on um, a a freight um, containers coming from you know wherever the ports were or bringing the product in and so it was very unusual to say that we were going to bring ppe on our airplane but operation warp speed was definitely huddled up um in the in washington dc made up of different federal entities um that were either appointed or were then current role um and we had the distinct privilege of war- working alongside uh, you know roger i would tell you it was every day there was a call of coordination and that included saturday and sunday long days of just trying to understand how you could make things happen um, so for that effort you know with with everybody that was involved it was just a miraculous effort at the end of the day of manufacturers um, distributors and our federal partners um, coming together to operate as one. You know, I think what Operation Warp Speed then led to was you had the pro- production of vaccines um, very quickly happen. Um, and so then how were you going to distribute the vaccines and ancillary kits out into the United States so the, the shot could actually be given? Uh, the vaccine was great, but without the opportunity to actually have something to put it in somebody's arm with, Um, really it, it had to be a two pronged approach, both not just the vaccine, but the needle and syringe. So McKesson, um, was, uh, was chosen. Uh, we were very humbled by the choice, um, for McKesson to be chosen as the distributor, sole source distributor for, for, uh, the vaccine, as well as the ancillary kits, uh, the operation, uh, team stood up, um, distribution centers, both for the vaccine, as well as, of uh, the uh, distribution for the ancillary kits to be made. So if you think about this, Roger, you had to have this kit that was specifically designed for whatever vaccine, if it was Moderna or J&J or Pfizer, it was a different ancillary kit right. that had to be given because the constitute was different for the vaccine and the temperature was different for that vaccine. Right. So the mode of delivery of the ancillary kit had to be very different. And so the team um, stood up uh, you know, several distribution centers, um, what I would say was overnight in our world as far as time, but it was about less than 60 days um, for both the vaccines and the ancillary kits to start production. And then the first vaccines were actually distributed in de- in December of 2020. So valiant efforts there, you know, the memories of the hard work, um, the American flags hanging um, in the distribution centers with people learning new roles, job responsibilities was incredible. And that is, that is probably the biggest highlight that I'll remember the good, the work was great. Um, but it's really, um, the, the dedication of those people working around the clock and working in distribution centers when COVID was rampant and they, they were struggling with family members that were sick as well. Uh, but they all had a combined effort to move forward, um, with those distribution centers to get the product out.
1: Yeah. I mean, you're making a great point. It's just, it is, um, a team effort, right? At the end of the day, it's everybody pulling together in the same direction to get something done. That's, you know, so important to the nation, um, you know, and it, um, it just sort of turning a little bit on that and just, you know, and, and I guess it's, 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 it's a part of the same conversation, but just rapid resp- response planning. When you described all, you know, what, what you were doing there, like there's so many points that you have to touch, whether it's, you know, who's the right, points of contact at different places where all the stuff is going to be d- d- delivered i don't want to get too cliche but it's almost like it's it's like a ballet it's like a you know it's you know it's a synchronized thing that has to take place across all these places can you just sort of talk uh and you know and it's coordinating with the government with the local folks all those sort of things you know just we got about a minute left or so two minutes um can you just Talk about that ballet a little bit more. and I mean, you, t- you you described it, I think, very accurately as an art at the beginning of the show. And this is where I came to. It's <laughs> it's like a ballet. It's a dance. It's all those things coming together. Yeah, yeah. You just have any final thoughts?
0: Yeah, I would say it's logistics at its finest. Um, you know, Roger, when you think about the coordination, and we say coordinating with the government, but there's several different agencies within the government you know you had operation warp speed which later turned into the cag and now h but you also had the cdc BARDA, sns asper um and a, you know a ton of communications teams behind that that was coordinated effort and then you had private industry that was trying to do that with your different vaccine manufacturers as well as you know mckesson and then you also had ups and fedex and so The calls that took place to coordinate what was the flow of information, how it was going to be distributed, um, was operational excellence and logistics at its best. And, um, you know, the lessons learned with that is that the more transparent and open um, that people are about what the actual capabilities are by engaging with best practices and being open and collaborative with new ideas um, is what delivers excellence at the end of the day. And that's what's important to move forward with.
1: Right, great. And I think that's a a great message to end the show on. Um, So I want to thank my guest today, Deborah Haywood. She is Vice President of Government Solutions at McKesson Medical Surgical. I'm Roger Waldron, and you've been listening to Off the Shelf on Federal News Network.
0: You've been listening to Off the Shelf with Roger Waldron of the Coalition for Government Procurement on Federal News Network. Tune in Tuesday mornings at 11 or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One.